Blog Talk Radio. to another episode of The Mystical Matchmaker this Valentine's week. I'm so glad you're joining me. I've got a great show today with a wonderful guest. We're going to be talking about love skills with Linda Carroll. But first, I thought I would share a funny dating story. I was looking on the internet today and on CNN they had a story that actually happened back in 2016, but I think you'll get a kick out of, maybe get a kick out of it or maybe be horrified if you're out there dating online. This is about a couple that met and uh, on a dating app, and then he robbed a bank on their first date and forced her to be the getaway driver. Yes, and you thought your first date story was bad, right? A Massachusetts woman became an unexpected getaway driver after a man she met on a dating app robbed a bank on their first date. Christopher Castillo, the unnamed woman's would-be Robin Hood, pled guilty to armed robbery and three counts of assault and battery on a police officer, all committed on their first date. This was in December of 2016 according to Bristol County District's Attorney's Office. Castillo was sentenced to three years in state prison for the robbery, plus two years in the Bristol County House of Corrections for violently struggling against and spitting on police who tried to subdue him, according to the District Attorney's Office. The woman wasn't charged. The worst date ever story was enough punishment. It all started, she said, when she picked up Castillo from his parents' home in Chapachet, Rhode Island, and drove him 30 minutes east towards North Attleboro, Massachusetts. She said he drank wine in the passenger seat of her Nissan Maxima, which is also illegal, but he wasn't charged for that. The two had never met in person before that fateful day, she told police. So why would she think anything was wrong when he told her to pull over as they approached a bank? He got out of her car and left her there alone for a few minutes. Then suddenly he came running back, sweating with sunglasses, a hat, and a gun, and $1,000 in cash, the woman said. Effing go, he told her. She panicked, she told police, and she did as she was told. Her, her date told the bank teller that he was really hurting. It was so crazy story. When he walked into the bank branch, he demanded the $1,000, said he needed it badly, that he was really hurting, he told the teller. And the teller handed him the money, and then he ran back out to his date's Maxima and ordered her to step on it. And his accidental accomplice obeyed at first, but once she spotted those flashing sirens from the police cruisers on their tail, she immediately pulled over and walked away from the car. Her date stayed inside and ducked from the police. They pulled him out of his hapless date's car as he violently struggled, spit on them, and told him his gun wasn't loaded according to the district attorney's office. 
After he was subdued and handcuffed, the police searched the car and found a 44 caliber handgun, an antique belonging to Castillo's stepfather, and the hat and sunglasses that matched the description of what the robber was wearing. Oh, and that thousand bucks? They found that in his wallet. Years after the date from hell, Castillo ended up sentenced to five years of incarceration. His date got off without a charge and probably with a healthy skepticism towards online dating. Oh, my gosh, it's so interesting. Uh, so many people are out there dating online. And, of course, we always talk about being careful. And um, in this case, you know, I would t- tell people, I think we know that now, you don't get into a stranger's or you don't let the stranger get into your car before you've met them or, you know, vice versa. You want to meet them um, in a public place and, and each drive your own car there. Um but there's so many precautions to take. But at the same time, so many wonderful people are on those apps and so many people are getting together and getting married. I meet a lot of them. And then once you do get into a relationship, you need some love skills. And that's what we're talking about today with this wonderful book, Love Skills, The Key to Unlocking Lasting Wholehearted Love by Linda Carroll. She's also the author of Love Cycles. Um, Linda is a writer, a therapist, a seminar leader, keynote speaker, and private coach to couples, individuals, and families. She lives in Corvallis, Oregon with her husband of 35 years and her Jack Russell Terrier. I love that. Just going to bring her on. Hi, Linda. Hi. Hello. So one of the – I'm good. I'm good. It's not – it's not the Jack Russell Terrier. His alas is no longer living. We have a Labradoodle. Oh, we have I'm a sorry. Labradoodle. All right, Labradoodle. He, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but here's one of the All things right. I want to tell you is that in love yeah. skills, that you know what one of the mm-hmm. most important skills is, is selecting a partner, and how you decide to. Go even date somebody. And when you were talking about that story, that was a great story. Yeah. I you know, I yeah. thought that there that's like stage one when we are that we need to to not just trust our heart, but to ask hard questions right. about the other person that don't have to do with how we feel. And I don't know if that would have stopped her from her first date experience with a bank robber, but I wonder if she yeah. had been a little more selective and right. a little less risky if she wouldn't have ended up like that. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, but I did. And even I did the fact that he was drinking in the yeah he was drinking in the car. I mean that yeah. would be right there. Yeah. Uh, let's pull over now. But but like what, yeah, that's talk, right. Talk a little bit about that. What about those now? Uh, since a lot of my um, listeners are single, single ladies, and we have Valentine's coming up, what are some of those skills that? We need in picking someone and vetting them. So let's say they're meeting somebody online or whatever before you even meet. Um, you don't want to sound like you're giving them the third degree, but what, what's your tips on that to get some Well, one of the things that I that I think, you know, we have a, a certain um, I, cliche. I mean, I take a lot of cliches apart. And one of the cliches we have is about trust your heart. And when I write about what I call stage one, the merge or when you fall in love or when you are really attracted to somebody, the thing I put as the, as the most important counterinstinctive move is don't trust only your heart because we have, because we, what, what we have is this idea that, you know, if I feel it in my body or my heart or my gut, that means go. And for some people that works out, but some of us have, I, for example, had a, a disastrous, um, 
gut or heart where it led me to the most inappropriate mm-hmm. person in the whole world over and over. And I had to do a lot of work on myself to realize that that was not the way that I was going to find a permanent partner, that if I trusted my heart, I would end up in a mess, which I did. And I, so I had to, I had to really get where that was coming from, what I was looking for. And in my case, it was a father who I, I found a man who needed help, who I could fix because I couldn't fix my father. And so I would find the same person over and over to save and to fix. And I, it was familiar. It was familiar love to me to find a man who was in some kind of trouble, who was depressed, and I'd recognize them and I'd say, oh, that's the one and that's love. But you know what? It wasn't love. It was just a replay of an old pattern. So the number one is is being my, being aware that your heart is yeah that's important, but your head is really really important. You need to go slow and ask questions about the person, which are not very romantic. You know, like do they pay their bills on time? How do they talk about their old mm-hmm. girlfriends? How do they talk about their family? Those kinds of of um, sort of objective information about who this person is, you know, do they rob banks in this case? Do they drink while they're driving? Uh, That that is great. Yeah. Thinking back to when I remember when I, I, I did the same thing and I did have an alcoholic dad that he was, you know, we were very close. He was functioning. So he'd go to work every day and, you know, but it was just, it was, I think I couldn't get him to stop. It was just sad to see is all. He wasn't violent or anything, but it was heartbreaking. So I think that's why I was codependent. And then I remember when you say, how do they talk about their ex? This one guy that I ended up moving in with for a few years, he, when I first met him, he was, telling off his ex on the phone, calling her a horrible name, you know, because she kept calling. And But you know what? At that time, I was in my 20s, and I thought, well, she must be a real bitch, and I'm special. I'm not like that. So, of course, he likes me. Yeah. And of course, she's crazy. And, yeah, and so, so, you know, it's normal that he would be telling her, you know, all these horrible things um, because I felt, I felt special. And um, that wasn't going to happen to you because in that first stage, nobody does that. And, right. And no, so what but we he see is the best. Be horrific. He was a verbal yeah. abuser, very jealous, horrible. And uh, I stuck with that one for four years. But, but uh, yeah, that's a good point. We got to look out for that. The way they treat uh, waiters or people out in the street, yes. you know, in the. Mm-hmm. Or how they yeah. see how how they are when they don't get their own way. You know, or is this somebody yeah. you have to calm down and you have to say it's okay? Or I think another another thing that I think is really important because I think about you know, one of the things I say in the book over and over is love is a feeling and a relationship is built on skills, good skills, and we need to have the quality to be able to do those skills. And they're not, I mean, they're, they're, anyone can learn them who's willing to, but a lot of people aren't. And I think in the time that we live at, Right now, with all these great podcasts like yours and all the information out there about consciousness and mindfulness, people know the language. They know how to talk Mm -hmm. the talk of being conscious about themselves or having done work on themselves. But what, so so it's not really what somebody says, it's how how they act when they don't get their own way. Because if you're with somebody, there's going to be times they don't get their own way. You know, is this a blamer or is this someone that said, you know, I really messed up? I missed up, and that's why I lost that job, or in that relationship, I, I did things that I wish I hadn't done, and I feel really bad. Or did they say, well, she was a psycho? You know, here's another one. I, I hear this a lot with people about <laughs> okay. they are diagnosing all of their exes. They're 
my ex, she's a borderline, uh-huh. she's a narcissist, she's a sociopath. Yeah. And I that, you know, sometimes as a therapist, those um those diagnoses are they're very complicated. And and many of the people that like in our exes that we can diagnose like that really aren't that at all. They're just that when they're when we're all cornered, none of us are very pretty. And and we all can act out. But I think that somebody who's talking about their past people in a way that's so derogatory, the question is, okay, why would you keep choosing someone like that? So anyway, that just uh, came up for me, Marla, because I listened to that great article. Not great, but I mean, it was. It was really an interesting (laughs) article that you read. It was entertaining, uh, but sad. But she was okay, so it was. We can laugh at it because she was not. I wonder what she would say though. Like how? What happened when he pulled out whatever he was drinking? You know, did she say, "Well, you know, you're not doing this"? And Mike, I mean, why did she even get in a car with somebody who she didn't know? And so yeah. how, well, you know. Well, we heard that story. Yeah, there was that story like three years ago or something about a woman who met somebody online, and he, she did let invite him over to her house. And then he came back uh, another day and murdered her. And um, Oh, my that God. Was like a, a, yeah, it was like a first date or second date she invited him over. So even letting him know where you live, we've just got to be, be so careful. Um, and then this is something... I have a question about a lot of my guys. So I, the, the men are my paying clients, but then women are also in the database. So I match both and I get feedback from both. Now men will say, I know in three seconds, if that's, you know, my woman, if she's for me, because they're visual, they just see, do they like how exactly. she looks or not? Right. You know, right. Body type or whatever. But you don't know. And then other people, women too can be, you know, well, I know right away or, and, we're all, I think we just base too much on how somebody looks and their initial, the initial charisma and, and sex appeal. But this, that sex appeal wears off. I mean, I've been married three times and I'm on my 20 years with my guy now. And I know that that initial excitement does not, it changes. It's going to morph. Things are not going to be, you're not, your heart's not going to beat fast when you're, you know, heavy, you know, comes out of the shower or whatever, is walking around it and giving it, you know, after right. years or whatever. So you've got to find out, dig more. So can you speak a little bit about that initial, how we can maybe open up a little more to not being discounting people if that initial flash of, you know, excitement is not there in the three seconds? Yeah, I think, oh, gosh, I think, well, I think that there's a couple of things. I mean, I think there is such a thing as chemical connection. I mean, that you feel something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been in, I've been married for a long time, and I don't, I, I, I am so, I mean, I think about a lot of people I know go on dating sites, and, and it's a great way to meet people. You know the one I like, and I'm going to come back to your question, but the one, the one that appeals yeah. to me is the one where you sit at a long table, and you look at each other uh-huh. for one minute. And then if you like the person, you press something, and if they press it, you get, you know, find out more about each other. I think there is something to that initial chemical appeal because when you don't have it, and I've been with a lot of couples yeah. because I my thing is working with couples where when they talk about how they started, they didn't have that. And so if you don't have that to start with, it's not that you can't you, – it's not that I – mean, there's no hard and fast rule – you know, some people don't have it, and it builds over time. Some people have it huge, and it disappears quickly. 
So I'm very yeah. careful to not make those. those. But, but I think that there is right. something initially when you see somebody that there's some kind of chemical. You know you know about the Texas T-shirt study? This is so interesting. Where they, Mm-mm. this is a long time ago, but they've done, they've repeated this test many times where they took 300 men from, this was in, it started mm-hmm. in Texas, but I think it went, there was another one in Switzerland. And they had them put on white T-shirts for three days that had never been washed, mm-hmm. and and they never, didn't take a shower. And then they had 300 women come in and sniff the T-shirts. And they mm-hmm. um, chose the T-shirt whose aroma was the most appealing. And then they matched mm-hmm. the DNA. What do you think they found? Any, any idea? What? Um, they found that the women... The, D- uh-huh. the DNA. So the woman who chose the T-shirt... Her, they matched her DNA with the T-shirt of the man she chose. And what okay. they found is that women were attracted to men whose DNA was least like theirs. Because here's the other thing. Oh. Na- nature breeds for diversity, not relationship compatibility. Mm-hmm. And the D- so the DNA, except for women who were, if they were menstruating, um, if they were on birth control mm-hmm. pills, it messed up. What they the mm-hmm. the t-shirts that they chose, but I thought that was really mm. interesting that there's some that that we are appeal we have, are attracted to people who are different than us from a from a biological perspective. Um, I mean that's just one of many How many they, different did, ways. How was the DNA different? Was it different ethnicity background or what? How, what's different? I don't know that DNA, part. That's a really great. I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. But I know a um, lot of people are always like they say opposites attract, and a lot of the women, you know, they want a dark. The darker guys love blondes, and the you know lighter well, that's girls right. that's like the dark guy, the yeah. dark tall, dark and handsome. Oh, I love the dark, dark guys, yes. the dark eyes and hair. And then the guys that are exotic. Oh, I like the blondes or redheads. But we like well, that's that probably part of it, of isn't it? I think yeah. that that's true, and, and I think very. That- very, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting all excited here. Some, when I when I try to match Asian um, clients, uh, they'll often, they don't want to date another Asian uh, or a certain Asian, you know, certain area. And I say, why? And then the answer is, oh, because um, they it looks like my brother or it looks, they, they seem like my family member or my um, sister. They've said that to me so many times. Oh really? Like, what? What do yeah. you think about that? What do you think that means? Yeah. Well, I was like, "What do you mean?" I mean, I mean, not that's the Asians that are here, you know, in America, but I mean, in Asia, there are all these Asians married to each other. <laughs> that's that's but, true. But but they've that's given true. me that. Oh no, I can't date an Asian guy. It just they all look like my brother. They all remind me of my brother, or it's too like. It's, I've heard it many times, so that's I don't, I don't so know. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it, but I think so, that – but there's yeah. lots of different DNA variations between every ethnic group, too. So, you know. Yeah. So I don't know, but the well, but the initial question was really a good one, which is if you don't feel it, can you get it? Can yeah. you come back? And I'd love to hear what your listeners have to say about that. Um, yeah. I think that there's something. Cool. I think that so. I think it's two parts. You can be really attracted to a person, and over and over again, the same kind of person with the same kind of characteristics that are not good for you. But I also think there is right. something in attraction that 
is that has to do with a, a certain kind of core appeal. Um, I don't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. My husband and I were talking yeah, the other and, night and about. We, and and we, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, you oh, go ahead. I was going to say when I'm when I'm interviewing women uh, for the matchmaking service, a lot of times they'll say, "Well, you know what? Now I'm getting women saying I don't care about looks anymore because I dated hot guys and they were like bad boys. They cheated on me or they it didn't work out, and so now I just I don't care about looks." So you know, I went, I know I I, saw, I went too. to I went to a high mm-hmm. school reunion, and I had I saw these guys that I thought were nerds in, in high school, and they weren't cool <laughs> like they're really cool guys, and I they were like these lovely men and great partners, and you know they had done really well, and a lot of the guys I thought they were so cute, they had done nothing with their lives, and I thought, why didn't I know then what I know now? But but alas, we don't yeah. know then what we know now. We have to learn it as we go. Don't we? Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know what? You talk about um, your readers in your book to make a geniogram. What is a genogram? And why is that a important? Geni- a geniogram? It's a geniogram. Um, Geno- yeah, yeah it, a geniogram, it's like a family history. And what? And really what you're doing is you're looking at at the ways that in your family that there are there's two parts to it one is the obvious like you you're really trying to get clear about what the patterns were that you learned in your family about love and touch and sex and money and about your own value and there's all kinds of things that happen our families are our first they're our first school they're our first conditioned place they're the first place where we learn who we are so let's say you come and then there's the obvious things we were talking about fathers and the trouble of that and how that plays out but there's things that are not so obvious um and there's there's two parts to that in the geneogram maybe you look and you see and you haven't thought of this before that i that and i give an example of a woman who had a older sister she was 18 months older than her and and so they were called the girls but in fact it was it, the even that expression was trouble because it it assumed they were equal but my client was never as fast as her sister she couldn't she didn't walk as fast and she didn't walk as quickly or read as quickly because she was 18 months older but in her mind's eye because they were quote the girls she didn't pay attention to that she just always felt she couldn't do things as well or as clever as other people and she had a, she was in a, a marriage with a guy who was a public figure and he was great so was she but he was he was really he was the life of every party people loved him and he had a job that was very much um a part i don't want to say about what it was but it was he was a very public figure because he had this fabulous personality so they'd go to parties or they'd go to dinners or they'd go places and people would come up and say oh your husband's so great and he's so wonderful and every, and she would get madder and more angry and she got so she didn't want to go anywhere with him because and her and her initial description was Oh, you know, he always gets all the attention. But as we began to explore it, she realized that that was not really what was going on. She still felt like the little sister. She felt like people were always looking at him and not her. And and at one, I remember one day I said, how old does that feeling feel? How old do you feel when you have that feeling? And she started laughing. She said, I think I feel about seven. So she was very powerful in her own right. And when she when she realized that she had a story about herself, based on that relationship with her sister, it really shifted the way she felt about her 
partner. So that's one of the things in a geneogram. And another is looking at the mm-hmm. rules that come down through families. You know, if there's immigration, for example, there are um mm-hmm. and I and when I when I work with people, I do a geneogram that goes back three generations. And and something really interesting is that things that you think of is it's just the way I am. It's just the way we are. You shouldn't talk about your feelings. Dogs belong outside. I mean, there's, we have all these rules about things. And mm-hmm. if you look at family systems and where that started, they that started so often because it was appropriate for the people that came. For example, immigrants. There was a, a especially if they came from some kind of persecution. There was a very strong rule: you don't talk about anything to do with your family because it was dangerous when you lived in whatever place you came from. Mm-hmm. And so that right. rule seemed like it's just how it is, but it's actually was something that made sense then, or you don't talk mm-hmm. about how you feel. And I think about what people have to go through when they come from another country and how hard it is to leave. And especially if our grandparents or great-grandparents came, you know, they didn't have Internet, they didn't call on their cell phone and do FaceTime. So they had to leave so much behind. And so it made sense that they didn't, they, there was so much grief in that, that they it would make sense that they didn't talk about it. They had to get on with surviving. But in but if, if that was appropriate for them then, but not talking about how you feel when you don't ha- when you're not running away from something or when it's not so overwhelming to feel those feelings you know it's one of the one of the skills we need to be able to have a wholehearted relationship is to know how we feel but some people are loyal to those old messages does that make sense yeah absolutely oh, yeah yeah so Hello? that's one Can of the chapters yeah. who am i yeah and then you talk about the enneagram too and that um People ask me sometimes, do you use that for matching and this and that? And it's for me, it's just too confusing. Maybe you could, it's you say it's a psycho-emotional spiritual tool that um, talk a little bit about how that can help in a relationship. The enneagram. One well, one of the things that I think we need to know that's so important. Just a second, hold on. I'm sorry. <coughs> sorry. Um, Something that is really, really important in working with couples is understanding the differences mm-hmm. between ourselves and our partner. And the, some of those mm-hmm. differences are personality differences, and it, they seem to—they sometimes get stuck in right and wrong. And yet, and 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 another part about that is that some of the qualities we fall in love with are the qualities we turn on later. And the Enneagram is the oldest personality system there is. Some people think that it's 2,000 years old, that it was taught, obviously not taught on the Internet. It was taught by teaching stories about nine types of people with diff- nine different personality types. And the, and it really has to do with the lens through which you see the world. So, it, so understanding your particular type and I think it's more valid than I've been a therapist for almost 40 years. I've studied every personality test there is. And to me, this has more validity than anything I know. I teach it to my couples. And so often they're relieved to understand their partner is different than them. So, mm-hmm. for example, I'm a, the type of person I am is I'm a person that always goes to what's right. And 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 every... Every type has strengths and weaknesses according, and every characteristic 
if it's overdone, becomes a weakness. So I always go to the po- the possibility, and my husband always goes to the limitation. And we have a joke about that, which mm-hmm. is he'll say no first, mm-hmm. and I'll say yes first, without even thinking. I mean, but we use the enneagram as a way to talk about this. Sometimes that works out really well for me. I say yeah, I say yeah, I'm going to write a book, you know, and I do, and that's yeah. really fabulous. Other times it doesn't work out well at all. I say yes without really thinking about is it practical. You know, can I do this? Is this the right time? Sometimes saying no in his type, he's very cautious. Sometimes that's the wise mm-hmm. way. And sometimes it stops him from all kinds of possibilities. So, But understanding our personality type, I know my proclivity. I know the part of me that what I have to do is I have to do a counterintuitive thing. And I've learned how to say, I'll think about it which is really hard for me. I don't like saying that. That's been a really tough thing to learn, that I don't say yes right away to anything. For him, one of his challenges is believing in what can happen. So one of the things he also needs to say and is learning to say is, I'll think about it. So he doesn't say no to begin with, but he tries to imagine if this can happen. And I and so I talk about the personality types sexually. I talk about the personality types in love. And there's so much written about this. I, I use this with couples all the time. And I think about, you know, couples get into trouble about money, for example. And if you look mm-hmm. at your particular type, that's one of the biggies, right? If you look at the personality type, you can understand how people relate to money because it's the lens through which they see the world. So some people relate to money in a, in, in a way that's very, very careful, and they think that's right. And some people relate mm-hmm. to money in a way where they're always afraid there isn't going to be more. And sometimes the yeah. person who's afraid there's, you know, there's never enough is with somebody who says, oh, we'll always find a way to get more money. And so understanding, yeah, right. and it's tr- so it plays out in all parts of our life. So I just think it's a, a really important life skill to know yourself. And and one of the relationship skills is re- in a long-term relationship, and you know this if you've been with your partner 20 years, is getting that your partner mm-hmm. isn't you. It's really hard to mm-hmm. get that. Why don't you see it like I see it? And the, and the Enneagram gives us a way of understanding that like my my husband I when we had, when we used to have one telephone we didn't have our own phones do you remember those days yeah. that was an yeah. another era <laughs> yeah. and if someone called I'd say just say I'm not home and he'd say I can't do that you are right. home I'd say but I'm not really here psychically I mean I'm not here he'd say, <laughs> I, I I he couldn't do it because the type of the, his particular type, the one, is totally. Mm-hmm. They, it has to be realistic and it has to be absolutely true. Whereas I can stretch right. things around a little bit. I shouldn't say that on the air, but yeah. Um, but <laughs> it, it, to me, yeah. if I'm not there psychically, I'm sort of not there. But for him, there isn't right. that line. So it's a it's, it's a great system, and it. Yeah. And it, and it works in all kinds of ways. It's great with kids, you know, because you have different types of kids. You need to be different with different kids. It's great to understand your friends, too, because, you know, you, mm-hmm. we get into conflicts there because the other person doesn't see life or we assume. Um, I have a friend, for for example, who's a she's, – she's what's called a social. It's a particular type on the Enneagram. And she thinks in terms of groups. And when I would go see her, she lived in a different state. She, I'd say, oh, I'd, let's have lunch, and she'd show up with three friends, whereas I'm a one-on-one oh. person. 
And I think, why does she have three friends? And for her, that's natural because she wanted to share all the goodness with us. For me, I felt like she didn't really like me. I felt violated. But then as we understood Mm -hmm. our eneotypes, we could talk about that and really laugh about that. Like, oh, gosh, I made a different story about what that really meant. Yeah, we 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 do shade things with our own experience and all of that for sure about how what yeah. things mean and and all of that. Yeah, and that thing about being your own person. I'm I'm always telling my husband I'm I'm a separate person than you. I, you ha- have to let me be me because he doesn't want. He's always telling you know I'm super super woo woo and I mean if an alien landed on our front lawn, got out and kissed him on the cheek, he'd still say, oh that was a good trick. You know, he still wouldn't believe it. Like, but I, right, well, you know, you've got to read about the Enneagram. Oh, he's probably a very pragmatic know, type. Yeah, so I'm talking to spirits and all this stuff, and he's like, "Yeah, but you know, that's not true." And and so, so he's you know wants me to think the way he does, and I'm always like, "I'm I'm different than you." <laughs> yes, that's right. It's hard. So I think it's yeah. an, and that would be a great matchmaking tool too. I mean, it's not that there's one type that's better with another type, but you can see where the attraction is and where the trouble is going to come. Because often the trouble comes in the very place the attraction was, doesn't it? The things mm-hmm. you fell in love with are often yeah. the things you want to change the most or try to. Nobody changes yeah, anything, but yeah, people do try to change people. I know, I know. The thing with the matchmaking though is, if the men don't think the lady is the way the looks that he likes he's not going to meet her it doesn't matter anything about this so i can't do that personality oh, test because the, okay. i have to get first they have to like what they see if they don't like that they won't meet them so it's like yeah it's kind of working backwards and so men are so visual <laughs> so they're looking for a certain yeah. look what about women what are they looking for yeah the women usually, I mean, they're less they're less into the looks, but they tend to like height. You know, I've tried the, even the tiny ladies, five two or five one. Oh, I only date guys six feet and up. You know, some that's sometimes the challenge with with women is they're they're stuck on that six feet tall. Um, when the average American male is five nine, so I try to get the ladies to be a little more open because there's so many great men. You know, five nine and under, five seven, five eight, whatever. So that's like some of those really they, great boys looking, I went to high school with that were so that turned out to be yeah. so wonderful, and and didn't yeah. look that way. And I, and so right, I think maybe you have to be older to appreciate that. But um, I don't know. Some yeah. no, some people did but appreciate the women, it then. They, they like a they like a sense of humor. They want the guy to be stable financially, um, uh, a gentleman, um, you know, fit things like that more than. They'll, they'll give them a chance. They'll even then when I get so mad is that double standard where the guys can you know demand to date ten or twenty years younger, but the women aren't supposed. The women you know aren't supposed to. They're supposed to you know why why do we have to date old guys? Why <laughs> yes you know yeah they would never date a woman twenty years older or thirty you know ten years older. So why why do that they, is a double standard somehow. Yeah, and I think I'm thinking back to to years ago, like when my grandmother married my grandfather. She was like 14, and he was 28 or something. But back then, it was you've got to find somebody that can take care of you, that can, That's right. you know, provide provide for the family. And and so that often was an older guy who was more established because women weren't yes. working and all that. And then they just got used to that, and they thought, oh no, that's the way it is. And and it's sorry, it's not. But <laughs> she was really 14. I think she was. I think that was, uh, you know, she was born in like 
12 or something. And for some reason, maybe she had a hard family life. She needed to get out of the house or something, but she ended up. And then my other grandmother got married at 18, and my mom got married at 18. Most most people back then was, were marrying at 18. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but she didn't. He was a lot older, yeah. And, and my mom was the last one to have kids, and she was 24 when she had me, and she was, like, already, like, when are you having kids? It's so, you're so old. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Everybody was... It was doing and now you see 60s. kids that age, and I think, oh my gosh, I can't believe. It. I mean, my, I, you know, they're so. I mean, how? I'm. What do you think is a good age, realistically, to really be able to make a decision like that? Oh, to have kids or get married, or or to get married. Well, yeah, yeah, get married. Not not in the twenties because we changed. I got married at eighteen, then I got married again at twenty-seven, and then I got married again at forty. And, and, um, I mean, I'm a completely different person. I was still in my patterns at 40. I was a late bloomer, but now if I were to be single and going to get married, gosh, it would be a whole different, I'd be a different, uh, values or whatever, whatever I was, I was screening for, but, but definitely, um, but the, the tricky part is it's still this biology where women have kind of falsely been lulled into thinking they can have kids until they're like 50 because of these celebrities who get have all the millions of dollars to get in vitro or have another woman carry their eggs or they're not just getting right. pregnant naturally at 45 and 50 but the women think I have women coming to me in their 40s saying oh yeah I still want to have kids and I mean biologically it's really very very low chance and then if you do get pregnant in your 40s there's a high chance to have a miscarriage or or some problems um because those are the old eggs that that uh, damaged eggs all the all the good eggs are released first um earlier and then because not to mention the physical labor of it having kids yeah you know i mean that their kids are a lot of physical work aren't they that's right. also so, true. So then the, the 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 tricky part is then okay. Well, you want to wait till you're a little more mature to get married, and then to but then some of the girls are in their 30s and they're frantically looking for the right guy to have a family with, and they don't have much time left for the because of the kid window. So yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that makes it a little it's it's a little tricky, and and also with all the pollution and. Um, chemicals in the environment. Um, people are having a hard. A lot of people are having a hard time to get pregnant uh, nowadays. It's taking longer. It's harder. So you got to account for that. I think that's true, right? I heard. I read somewhere that the sperm count was down dramatically with men mm-hmm. all over the world because yeah, of the, the environment, and it's the fertility, all the chemtrails, yeah. and all the stuff in the foods and all that. So yeah, we've got to plant. So so I did have a I did have a gynecologist, a fertility specialist, on my YouTube show once just to talk about all this because it it is sad when when the women are coming and they're already pretty much past the time, and then they're wanting yeah. to have a family. So he says if you want if you really really want a family, you got to think start thinking about it earlier and and plan. Um, so that that's the tricky part, I think, with the, the delicate dance of when should I settle down and when should I start, you know, all of this stuff. So, but I guess maybe late twenties, I don't know. But it's all on the individual person. Some people are out there having a wonderful career they love. They don't want to um, settle down. So 
Well, I have my my yeah. girlfriend. Her father said to her, and this was a long. This is like in the sixties and seventies. I mean, this nobody said this to their kids then. He said to her, "Look, marry who you want, live where you want, do what you want with your life, but first get yourself mm-hmm. a profession." You, and to, go to college mm-hmm. and get a profession mm-hmm. where you can where that will be the first definition you have of yourself, and then choose somebody. And she did. She became a physical therapist, mm-hmm. and she's changed it now, and she's a psychotherapist. But she, it was that was nobody was told that in those days. You know, I thought that was such a great right. thing for him to say because, and the and I think the idea would of that is that who you choose after you've been out in the world and after you feel competence because that's the other part is that when when you know when you have a profession when you have identity with yourself as a professional person and you feel good in that and you feel like it's a place that can grow you you're going to choose somebody that reflects that self image and that sense of of mm-hmm. self esteem whereas if you're if you're working a job to survive that you hate you're just waiting to get yeah. somebody to save you from that, and we all know how that works out to be saved. I hope people know right. that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I still have some girls coming saying, "Oh, I need my bills paid, or I can't pay my rent, or I need a guy. I I got to get a boyfriend fast." <laughs> it still happens. Do you really? I'm like, oh no. Yeah. You you'd be surprised, but um, it, it still is happening. So I. You know, yeah, I always tell ladies, get your own gig going, make your own money, save your money. And then the guy is going to be a, maybe you will get a rich guy, but in the meantime, you got to take care of yourself. Plus the men find it very appealing when a woman has something going on and she can pay her own bills. Oh, yeah. Even though if he's, if he's wealthy and he'll, he'll take care of everything once they're together or once they're married, take her on fancy trips and, but he, but not from the get go. He wants to see that she's got she can do it, that he, she's not just going to drain his bank account and depend on him like a kid, you know. So so, who's, so then the other thing comes into this, which is kind of a variation of what we were talking about before, which is what kind of a guy is going to be attracted to a woman who doesn't feel good about herself and who's, you know, mm-hmm. making, uh, just surviving? Yeah. And is this a guy who wants a woman who's going to be less than him? And who's going to right. be attracted to somebody who has her own empowerment? And I think that that's also, you know, it's like that that goes back to that selection again, is that how, how how who you're attracted to. I think that there is just like there was women and sort of the classic trouble that women can get into is looking for a man they're going to save and fix. And there's also a reverse on that with men that looking for a woman who needs them. I mean, it's a different a different mm-hmm. uh, way mm-hmm. of, of playing yeah. out the same thing. And that does not work out so right. well because I think love is an inside job. My whole book is filled with that. You know, if it, it starts with my relationship with myself, and whatever that relationship is gets mirrored with my relationship with you. But if I don't feel, if I don't feel like I have worth, that's going to play out in my relationship over and over. I've got to get that worth first. Yes, we got it. It's always, it's like that cliche, love yourself. If you can't love yourself, who else is going to love you? But it's so true because if we think about who we're attracted to, people who have that magnetism, who like themselves, not who are just um, down. But what about, what about this? I hear this too from women, um, women with high powered jobs, you know, maybe they like make, make two or 300,000 a year or they're, they're an attorney or a doctor, and they'll say, oh, men are intimidated by me. They, they're intimidated by me because I make a lot of money or I'm a powerful w- woman, and that's why I can't find somebody. Well, I would say which men? 
you know, is that, is that, uh, I mean, I think that I have a lot of, I have a lot of dual career couples and I think that some men really like to have a woman who they can have a collegial relationship with where they don't have to be the big boss or the big know-it-all. And I think that so, so men who are intimidated, I think that that might say something about them. And I also see a lot of couples right. now that where it's they have reversals where they have one per, the woman is actually very um, ambitious and the guy isn't ambitious and he is like mm-hmm. well and he, well my husband is was ambitious he was a veterinarian for many years but he's retired and I work full time and he and he now he was you know he worked for 50 years as a vet but he doesn't now and you know what he does he cooks he cleans. Mm-hmm. He does not the way I want him to, but don't put that on the radio. Um, but he, but he does his he does his best. But he makes he's the best cook. And I think, oh, why mm-hmm. didn't I know about having a wife? Because I come home from work and there and he's in the kitchen. He's just made this roast dinner, mm-hmm. and he's you know he's so available in ways he brings me yeah. lattes in the morning. That's I love being taken care of like that. But he's pretty secure Aww. in himself and that's a right. great that's a a great thing right now in our life is that he's loving doing it and I'm loving he's loving not working and I'm loving working but I'm also loving having someone take care of me in that way cuz that's just really that's a different experience for me so um so, yeah, I mean, and, and men like that too. Those those roles, they like it if a woman will make them some dinner. You know, it's it's we've we've be, we've almost become men now. The women, a lot of us out there in the workforce, and not you know having that nurturing side. Too. There was a book that came out a long time ago. It was called The Second Shift, and it was really mm-hmm. really good. And mm-hmm. and what the what she said in that book was that for when men and women have um, dual careers. The women most mm-hmm. often have two shifts because they come home and they do kids, although that's changing a little bit. But they come home, they do the kids, they do the first job, and then they do the second. And often mm-hmm. with men, it's sort of over when they get home. But I think that's really changing. I don't know. I mean, at least, I don't know. Where are you lo- Where do you? Uh, where are you located? Los Angeles. Los Angeles. You're in L.A. California. So what do you think? I mean, that's a, yeah. a lot's happening there i think and maybe there's in the midwest or in other parts of the states it's slower to change but i think that men are more comfortable with those roles of being home and doing their share that's what i find but maybe what do you find yeah i mean it's interesting because my husband he's 60 now but he's not going to retire or anything but his where he was working he's a performer and the place the restaurant closed and he um so now he's working part-time at, at another place he's performing at at uh if anybody's in LA he's at the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel <laughs> it's great but but he's he's getting in there he's you know they've got their people so he works you know maybe a few a few days per month as, as opposed to you know four days a week every week for you know or he used to sometimes work in two or three places so he's always worked you know performed a lot all the time and now it's like this year it's been kind of at first it's it's, it was stressful for him, like, oh my God, I'm used to going to work every day. I'm not. This is. I'm not used to this. But now he's he painted all the kitchen cabinets. He's repairing, oh, you know, repairing wow. all these things. Yeah, and he's like, oh, you know what? I'm using this because I said, honey, it's okay. You have plenty of money saved. I'm working. Everything's fine. Working part time right now. Just relax. You've worked your ass off all your life. Just and then he's like, oh, thank you for saying that. And then he says, you know what? I'll just. The time when he's not, he has a studio. He's always making, recording new songs and stuff. But 
at home. But when he's not, yeah, he sings, he performs, he writes songs, he records, he plays his songs on on TV shows and different things. But but when he's not out performing, he says, you know what? I'll use this time to do home repairs and stuff. Because he goes, gosh, after we've had the house ten years, there's things that are you know need fixing and stuff. And so he's he's doing all that and. And it's great. So he's, I think, kind of realized it's okay because he kind of panicked at first. I'm not working full time. Um, right. But now he's like, enjoy. I said, just relax, enjoy yourself, you know. So, so uh, yeah, I think men well, men get into that routine. It's hard to hard to accept, you know, with the changes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So before before I let you go, I just wanted to talk about two other things in your book. You say there's three magic words when it comes to communicating with our partner. Um, I just want to talk about communication a little bit because that's always a stickler. So what are those three magic words? Um, three magic words. It's more okay. The three magic words. Well. So let me tell you, I have to say more than what the three magic words are because you're not going to understand it. The three magic right. words are, is, is there more? But so, in, but is there more is a way of deepening any conversation. So your partner says, I'm really upset you said that at the party. And instead of reacting or defending yourself, if you say, tell me more about that, I'm really, you know, what happened for, for you? You don't have to say it like a parrot all the time. Is there more? Is there more? But what you're really doing is rather than reacting to what they say, you are asking them to tell you more about what they feel about it. And often what comes up is something that surprises them. Or or somebody comes home, your part, or your friend comes, or your, let's say your partner, you're on a date with someone, and they, you say, how was your day? And they say, it was really horrible. I really can't stand the person I work for. And so the way a conversation mm-hmm. often goes is you say, you know, I had someone I couldn't stand that I worked for, and I finally quit the job. Well, where did you work? Blah, blah, blah. Well, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But in the three magic words, you say to the person, the person says, I really can't stand working for this person. And instead of taking the conversation in a different direction or making it about you, if you say, tell me more about that, what happens mm-hmm. is you re- they really can do a deeper dive into what's going on, not the top level of it, but really exploring, why don't I like it? What's it like? And They've, and the other person feels heard. They feel listened to. And instead of and so again, there's nothing wrong with the conversation as we often do it, which just goes off in a different direction. But if you really want to get to know somebody, then that question can help you. And here's the other part. In a long-term relationship, when you've been with somebody a while, one of the hardest things that we have to overcome is the idea that we know the person, that we can predict what they feel, what they did, why they did it, because, in fact, we don't. We don't. And Mm -hmm. so when you say, tell me more about that, I ha- you know, I remember when well, you wanted to ask me another question. I don't want to go off into a whole long thing, which I could about anything. But um, does it, so any any more about that? Yeah. No, well, that's I. It's so important because we do tend to make it about ourselves. It's just a you know because we think of something that that's similar and then we say it and and it doesn't make the person feel heard. My husband does the same thing. I'll, I'll be I'll want to tell him something. He cuts me off in mid sentence. And I'm like, well, why did you cut me off? He says, because I already know what you're going to say. And there like, it is. Well, yes. Yeah, and I said, what? You, and sometimes he's, he said, I already know what you're going to say, and it's bullshit. And he's told me that. <laughs> and he <laughs> and, uh, and he's I'm already like, in a reaction, yes, and you didn't even say it. 
so, and then I said, well, what was I going to say? And then he'll tell me, I said, no, it wasn't. You don't know what I was going to say. That's not what I was going to say. And even if it was, I want to finish my sentence. I came to tell you something instead of just being cut off because you already know what I'm going to say. So but here's is, the other thing, you know, yeah. is that we if if you if you if you're talking about something a lot and you're saying the same thing a lot, that's when it's even a better thing to say is there more because mm-hmm. because you're often we're talking about something because we're not really getting to the real thing. So we talk about it in a certain way over and over because we don't know what's really going on and to have somebody listen really well and say, tell me more. Well, what was that like? Well, what did that bring up? Tell me more. And you can do it in a very annoying way. You've got to be more skilled than I'm doing it right Mm -hmm. now. But it lets us discover new things about our partner, which we can do for our our whole life. And I think that's one of the secrets to a wholehearted relationship is to know I don't really know I know I don't really know this person I'm with. I've known him for 40 years, but he's always surprising me. If I let myself be surprised, and if I don't put him in a mm-hmm. box that says I know that, I know what you're like. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so good. Well, you know what? We're running out of time, and I could just talk to you all day. We'll have to um, do another one. <laughs> well, that was so much fun to talk, talk to so- you. Yeah, that was wasn't great. that awesome? So you guys are... Linda's book is Love Skills, The Keys to Unlocking Lasting Wholehearted Love. And her um, website is lindaacarroll.com. It's linked up back at Blog Talk Radio. And um, any parting words uh, for people uh, looking for love on Valentine's? (laughs) So looking for love on Valentine's, well, the theme kind of of my theme song is that love is a feeling and a relationship is a skill set and that anybody can learn the skills if you're willing. And the feeling may get us into it, but it doesn't keep us in it. The skills are what keep us in it. So thank, learn the skills, and, uh, and and thank you so much for having me on your show. You sound oh, like yeah. you would be a great matchmaker, so I'm glad to know about oh, you. Oh, thank you. Yep, been doing it 18 okay. years, so I have to know a oh. few things now. <laughs> yes, you do. All right. Well, thanks, thanks so much. Thanks, thanks Bye-bye. Linda, and much love, everybody. Till next time, bye.